1: and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. Uh, this is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. So it turns out the news cycle cannot keep us off the air too long. After we had said on our last show that um, we were not going to be recording weekly in the offseason, we're back a week later with, get this, a show that's entirely about prospects, something we have not had a lot of in 2020. Um, that's because the Orioles put out their. 55-player roster for the fall instructional league that will take place down in sarasota so we're going to get into that the players that are on the roster as well as some of the players who were surprised or not on there and we're going to talk a little bit about what that might mean or what it doesn't mean for their future in the system and then the status of heston kerstad who is the only 2020 draft pick To not be down at the instructional league right now. He was held out for what was reported to be a non sports medical reason. Um, We're not going to focus so much on his health uh, on this episode, but more so on the implications going into next year with the amount of time that he has lost since college baseball season was shut down. Uh, That's for later in the show, though. So, first, we're going to get into this roster that was released uh, earlier this week. Uh, 55 players, as I mentioned. Uh, A lot of them are. Players that were recent acquisitions either through the draft or free international free agency in the last year or two. Um, Some names that were acquired in trades that we didn't get a chance to talk about a lot this year, like Easton Lucas, a left-handed pitcher who was acquired from the Marlins and Jonathan VR trade last fall. Um, Some guys that have been in the system for a little while that were acquired in previous trades like Brett Cumberland and Ryland Bannon will be down there, along with uh, top prospects Grayson Rodriguez, uh, Adley Rutzman, and D.L. Hall. Right now, what we're not sure about is whether or not the Orioles players are actually going to play in games against other organizations. Uh, That was uncertain when we went to air. In theory, where Sarasota is, they could form a little bit of a bubble with the pirates who are just a few minutes away in Bradenton. And then just South of Sarasota, you have the Braves and the Rays fairly close by, but we'll see if anything comes of that. But this show, we're just going to focus on our thoughts on the roster. Um, and we'll start off with the pitchers. Bob, is there a name in there that stands out to you?
0: It's, uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm the guy that catches my eye right off the bat is Luis Ortiz. No, not that Luis Ortiz. The one we signed uh I think it was last uh international signing period or maybe it was the one before that, but it was one of our biggest signings. It was one of the ones you heard about on baseball America that was impressing people since uh since we signed him at that deadline. And it's just it's just good to me to see these guys you know, you hear for the longest time the Orioles didn't play in those waters. They didn't go international. And of course, it was great news when we finally got Elias in here and he made it his motive and he signed Kobe Perez to head up that department. And you start seeing the names get signed. Well, now it's another great step that they're coming stateside and they are seemingly an integral part of the future of this organization. So that was that was interesting. Uh, Just a, a lot of these names. I mean, obviously, D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, we knew they would be there. They got to keep building their arms up for the future. But even a guy like, uh, what is it, uh, Gerard Thomas Garrard, he was a non-drafted free agent. To see him get on this list ahead of some guys maybe we'll talk about later that have been more well-established as potential prospects is, is interesting to me. I don't know what you know the ins and outs of all these decisions are and the reasoning behind them, but we will probably never know because we won't get any coverage of this but it's still interesting to speculate about
2: yeah a lot of fun names like we were talking about before we started recording i would pay so much money to watch this group of pitchers playing games um i do like thomas garard out of duke like you mentioned bob undrafted guy uh, a pitching ninja darling darling with that uh, slider that he has um Brandon Young is another undrafted free agent that the Orioles picked up after the 2020 draft that I really like. He was probably my favorite of the undrafted free agent signings. Big, tall guy out of uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, Fastball that plays well up in the top of the zone. I watched a few of his starts after the Orioles picked him up. He's a guy that I think they stick him in the bullpen. He can move up pretty quickly through the system. Uh, I I was super excited. My favorite name on this list was not D.L. Hall. Uh, it was not uh, Grayson Rodriguez, but was uh, my guy Shelton Perkins out of my alma mater, James Madison University. Uh, one of the best, best breaking balls you'll ever see. Uh, first time I watched him play was a false scrimmage after he transferred to JMU. I put a big old circle around his name and just said, dude, next to it. Uh, three years later, he's an Oriole. Struck out all six hitters he faced in his pro debut. Uh, reliever type, the, the, the exact attitude and personality you wanted out of your pitcher. Uh, excited to see him on that list. Um, I, I like a lot of these 2019 draft picks. Cade Stroud, a West Virginia guy, 2019 draft pick. Uh, pitched 17 innings last year in Aberdeen, didn't give up a single earned run in his pro debut. Morgan McSweeney out of Wake Forest. The Wake Forest is doing a lot of really cool things with their player development uh, facilities. Um, pretty successful year in Aberdeen in his pro debut, didn't give up a single home run. Uh, two of the older names though that I was actually surprised to see were Blaine Knight and Ofelki Peralta. Uh, interested in uh, your guys' thoughts about those two guys. But I know Blaine Knight really struggled. He was one in twelve with a six point one three ERA in Frederick, uh, which you know is, is tough to see. But um, he kind of disappears when he turns sideways. I think one hundred sixty five pounds is kind of generous with him. Um, and Ofelki Peralta, I thought he was like thirty, but he's only twenty three. <laughs> He's been in Frederick the last three years, but clearly the Orioles see something with him for him to be down in Florida.
1: I almost wonder sometimes if Blaine Knight is going to be the Cody Sedlock of 2019, whenever baseball actually does resume. Um, You sort of, as last its effort might be a little bit exaggerated, but sort of feeling like you're at your end meet was trying to make him a starter, move him to the bullpen. I don't think you would have done that at the alternate training site in Bowie just because I don't think that even if Blaine Knight goes there and his lights out in inter-squad games, you're going to think he's major league ready. But if you do want to try to salvage something for um, Alan Knight, who has struggled since uh, as a starter since being drafted, moving him to the bullpen might be a good option. Peralta might fit in a similar mold, but that was a guy who in Delmarva, what was that, 2016, I believe? Put together a pretty nice year. But then, as Nick mentioned, it's kind of hit a wall at Frederick. So for both of those guys, I think you just want to see what you can get out of them. Um, and this limited run down in Sarasota and figure out going into spring training, you know, if we're going to try to salvage their careers, what do we want to do with them? Do we want to move them to the bullpen? Do we still think we can make it work as a starter? Um, based on what we've seen so far, not just from Sedlock, who I mentioned a minute ago, but also Brian Gonzalez, a lefty who uh we heard some positives about down at the alternate training site in Bowie this year. Maybe there is something now of a formula in the minor leagues that the Wortles want to look at of a guy that's drafted, uh, doesn't pan out as a starter beyond low A or high A, move into the bullpen sooner rather than later and see what you can figure out.
0: Yeah, Peralta's a guy I've been waiting for them to unleash in the bullpen for a long time now. I mean Last year they started him again at Marva. He's clearly got a great arm. He can throw the ball hard, but it, whenever he gets to Frederick, he just hits a wall. So I was just kept waiting last year for them to just put him in the bullpen and see him if he could like become like the Dylan Tate or you know someone that goes into the bullpen and just their stock rises pretty quickly from there. But it hasn't happened yet. Hopefully that's what's to come, or at least I don't know. I don't see him ever putting it together as a starter. But I'm also glad to see drew rom on here he didn't get to go to the alternate site i know he was pitching some independent ball in the summer and i'm glad to see zach peak and kyle bernovich who along with the other guy we got from the angels who i can't <laughs> think of his name off the top of my head uh this will be their first chance to see them under the coach's uh, eyes what do you guys think about them
2: Yeah, I'm definitely the thing with Brnovich and peak is they didn't even pitch after the angels drafted them in 2019. So it's definitely good that they're in there because that would be, you know, pushing two years between, you know, competitive uh, outings there for them. I like Brnovich a lot, especially just he's a guy out of the Colonial Athletic Association. So I've seen him pitch a lot of times Uh, when he was at Elon. uh, I remember CAA tournament his last year. Um, He he pitched in one of the early games, I think, and scouts kind of wandered away. It was like 110 degrees that day. They kind of wandered away to, to, to the concession stand in the shade, but there was uh, two guys I remember standing out there uh, watching him pretty closely, and one of them was the Oriole scout who was there uh, in his black hoodie and jeans in 110-degree weather but uh, for three straight days. But he had a, a good eye on Brnovich, so clearly uh, he really wanted him, and maybe the Orioles just missed him in the draft, but they finally got their guys. So maybe that's uh, a guy to watch closely.
1: Yeah, I I know that with the year that Dylan Bundy had with the Angels, I'm sure Orioles fans are anxious to feel like they're going to get something out of that deal. Isaac Madsen right now is probably first in line to get to the major leagues um, out of that group just because he was at the alternate site this summer. He pitched in AAA last year. But with both uh, Peek and Bronovitz, I think, like Nick said, you want to get them axed, and this is the best way to do it. Um, Just because I don't think either one of those guys were necessarily going to fit the bill of going to the alternate site. Working out against more experienced competition, at least now you get them some work and then try to set them up for 2021 wherever you want to assign them. I do want to go back to Gonzalez for, or, or excuse me, Ortiz for a minute. Um, MLB.com actually has Ortiz ranked as the 29th best prospect in the system um, with an ETA of 2024. So understand that this is a very long range projection for a guy that actually just turned 18 last month. So I'm wondering, with Ortiz, now that he's in Sarasota, do either one of you think that we see him stateside uh, next year, or do you think that this is going to be a Dominican Summer League prospect? Hmm.
2: Uh, That's a good question. I want to say that Michael has kind of addressed this with some of the other guys who were at the alternate site, how it's going to be a case-by-case basis as to... Who jumps up a level? Uh, who maybe repeats a level or, or doesn't get to skip? Uh, whenever we figure out what minor league baseball looks like next year in 2021. But Ortiz, you know, he said he's only 18, still young. I don't think he pitched last year uh, in in the organization, so the Orioles haven't really seen him yet. Um, you know, but it, reading from the Baseball America report on him, six foot three, 195 pounds. A fastball that gets up to 93 miles an hour from the left side. I think if it's a productive four or five week camp, you know, maybe he's in in low, low A next year. But again, what makes it hard to answer is we don't know what minor league baseball is going to look like next year.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say we have to figure out like what the structure even is like. Normally, I'd say maybe you see him open up with Aberdeen come the summer halfway through so he doesn't have to put too many miles on his arms and he's facing a little bit less competition or maybe GCL, but not really sure how all that's going to work at all next year, let alone the negotiations between MLB and minor league baseball. Just with the whole COVID thing, is there going to be a normal minor league season whatsoever? But uh, I think we will see him stateside in one form or another next season. I don't know if. It's going to be like as the season's beginning in like a Frederick, if that exists, or Del Marva, But I think we'll see him eventually.
1: Yeah, I think starting him out at a full season level is going to be a stretch, but I'm curious to see if spring training ends, if in the, in the minor league season does get underway um, as normal next year, if he's a guy that's held back in Sarasota for a few months with an eye on either having him pitch in a complex league if they have that next year, or eventually moving him, up to a lower minor league level just to get him some experience. One other name that I did want to mention before we move on uh, from the pitchers is Carter Baumler, who I was very happy to see on this list just because he really did not have a spring season uh, this year. Uh, I think he had one outing, and the Orioles ended up picking him in the fifth round, signed him above slot, getting him away from his TCU commitment. I think it might be a little bit aggressive to have Baumler start In a full season next year but what do you guys think of him being here and what do you think this means for him going to 2021
0: i feel pretty similar about him as luis ortiz as far as where he'll start and how he'll pitch next year but i do think it's pretty important to get him in here now so they can run the analytics on him get him bought into the the whole system that they have going on and give him something to work towards over the off season heading into next spring training. So, yeah, I'm happy to see him here as well.
2: Yeah, one of the, the best things about this is all the undrafted free agent guys, the, the the international signing guys that haven't pitched yet, and guys like Baumler, who's you know a teenager who, like you said, didn't really get to pitch at all his senior year in high school because of coronavirus and, and the draft and how all that worked out. But, I mean, he's probably going to also get to throw to Adley Rutschman. So, I mean, that's, that's a great to get him into camp and work, in, work with him and Rutschman working together already. So that's, that's a plus right there.
1: So with on that now we're gonna move on to catchers. Um Adley Rutzman's supposed to be good, right? <laughs> Decent. Yeah, that that's what I've heard. Um now on to something else though, um, because we're gonna be talking about Adley Rutzman a lot, um, probably over the next year or two, just counting down the days that he gets Or twenty for, years. Yes, or twenty <laughs> years, hopefully. Um <laughs> is a guy that I know Nick has mentioned in the previous episode. So when I saw his name on his roster, I wanted to, Nick to kind of talk 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 about him a little bit. And that's Maverick Hanley.
2: Yeah, my, one of my favorite guys in the system. Uh, Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year with a guy named Adley Rutschman in 2019. Uh, when he was in college, he's a Stanford guy, a bioengineering major at Stanford. So uh, clearly a very bright guy. Called his own pitches in college, something you really don't see a lot of. Uh, so that's that's awesome to see. Fifty-two uh, percent of base stealers were caught. At, at final two years at Stanford, when he was with Aberdeen, he caught sixty-three percent of base stealers. He can hit the ball a little bit. Uh, hit the ball well in the Cape Cod League and and then the Pac-12. I, I just think that this is a guy who really good defense behind the plate. Uh, someone that I think could pair well with Richmond. And you know, there's a lot of talk of Severino and Chance Sisko. I'm sick of talking about Chance Give me Adley Rutschman and Maverick Hanley behind the dish in 2022-2023.
0: It sounds like he should be the one with the last name Cannon <laughs> based on that. But uh, the guy I'm interested in the catcher group is Brett Cumberland. I feel like all summer long, when you look at these little tidbits that we got at alternate roster, you kept seeing Cumberland's name pop up as a guy that the Orioles like or like what they saw from him. And, and that's kind of surprising to me because I... I considered him kind of like a throw-in on that Kevin Gallsman to Atlanta Braves trade. Like an all-hit, no-catch, but didn't really hit even for us that much uh, over the past year and a half. So I don't know what he's done to like get all these mentions, but uh, I'm interested to see what that looks like.
1: Yeah, I wanted to talk about Cumberland for a minute because I worked on a piece that actually went on com last week, talking about Rule 5 guys. Brett Cumberland was not on my radar when I started working on the piece, but then he got, as Bob said, positive press. And what specifically drew my attention was a piece from John Mioli at the Baltimore Sun. So I ended up putting Cumberland kind of in the second tier of players. Um, he has been eligible for the Rule 5 draft before. I think the Orioles would have to do a lot of maneuvering to get him on the 40 man roster. And he's actually only played 75 games in the Orioles system since that trade. But his numbers at buoy, and I'm going back right now to look them up in 2019 in a limited sample were actually decent um I'll start with you Nick do you think that there actually is something to Brett Cumberland maybe having a little bit brighter future with the Orioles than what the what the eyes might suggest yeah
2: definitely I mean like you said we don't really get too much information out of Bowie and um it, it always kind of worries me because you don't you don't have the press as- access. You don't have the fan access. And Bowie, apparently, we're not going to have that down in Sarasota. So it's kind of a, lo- a lot of you know what is what is the team uh, feeding these beat writers and what the- what are they putting out to us? Uh, so I feel like you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt, and maybe that's just me being a, a skeptic here. But um, it's great to see that this positive reviews of Brett Cumberland. He's a switch hitting catcher. He's 25 already. And like you said, he has been Rule Five eligible. Uh, before and the Orioles didn't bother to protect him I don't think uh, he's somebody that another team is going to pick up right now either but it's it's hard because he hasn't really played that much so I haven't really watched him play hardly any but everything you read about him earlier when he first joined the organization was he's a terrible catcher he's a DH type maybe a first base type but I mean the guy really gets home base he can do that pretty well so at least something's going on down there and and that's good to see
0: maybe he's The next Jason Worth out of the Oriole system, but we caught on to it before we could let another team turn him into a productive player. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, so I'm looking at his numbers now. Um, 395 on base percentage, 144 WRC plus, and a 14.6 walk rate over 41 games of Bowie last year. So pretty good numbers for a depressed offensive environment, even what, even if Cumberland was a little old for the level.
2: Another yeah. intriguing name to add to the list. Again, this is one of those reasons why not having that minor league season is, is killing me. And now that we're going back over <laughs> this list and actually going to talk about these guys and it's just, it's making me more excited and depressed at the same time.
0: And it's hard to teach uh, on base skills, you know, so that's a good starting point. And if he could be a swing change guy, maybe he can uh, turn things around for himself.
1: Yeah, I have to think that if he either taps into his power a little bit more or improves his defense just enough to where he's a good receiver behind the plate or can call a good game, whatever you need him to do, maybe he enters the conversation sometime next year as a backup option.
0: That would be interesting for sure.
1: So now onto the part of the roster where I feel like the um, quantity and quality are both pretty interesting because you have 17 infielders, but then there's a lot of good names in here. Ryland Bannon, who I mentioned at the top of the show, a guy that all three of us are really high on and that I suspect is going to get a 40-man roster spot this offseason. Gunnar Henderson, the player that I wanted to see the most in 2020, unfortunately didn't get to see, but he's now been at the alternate training site and will go to the Fall League in Sarasota. Taryn Vavra who came over in the Michael Gibbons trade. Uh Jordan Westberg, the Orioles second pick in the twenty twenty draft. Just to name a few of the infielders, not to mention uh Kobe Mayo, their fourth rounder, uh this year in the draft. So this crop of infielders is really talented.
0: Yeah, I'm very interested in sorry, Nick, uh seeing what these this group does because yeah, almost every name on here is interesting. Got Toby Welk who Really had a chance to build on his out of nowhere breakout from 2019 this year, and unfortunately that wasn't able to happen with everything. You got Daryl Hernandez, who I've been super intrigued with since we drafted him last year. Uh, Adam Hall, a guy who I think could potentially be the second baseman of the future, depending on how things go. Kobe Mayo, like you said, yeah. Just Joey Ortiz, even like just it's unusual to see so many really solid infield prospects on this most recent Oriole teams.
2: Yeah, I like how that's really deep in middle infield, guys, too. Guys with a lot of question marks, Del Hernaz, Joey Ortiz, like you mentioned, we really haven't been able to watch too much, but uh, for them to get quality one-on-one instruction time, I think will be huge. Jordan Westberg and Anthony Servideo, uh, new guys from the draft class. Again, Servidio's more the definite glove first shortstop type player, but some thought his offensive breakout last year at Ed Ole Miss was for real. Uh, we'll have to see about that. It would be great if it is. Um, I really like Adam Hall. I think he's a guy that a lot of Orioles fans kind of kind of down on, uh, maybe because he doesn't really have that power. But I, I think we've seen a little bit, some, some tidbits here and there about maybe a little bit more power in the tank for Adam Hall. The guy can steal bases. I mean, he had 33 stolen bases last year, 22 stolen bases the year before that. I think it's like over 80% success rate over the last two years. Uh, 2.98 average and 3.85 last season in Delmarva. Uh, so if he can if he can develop a little bit more power, turn more of that raw power into game power, I think he definitely has a clear path to second base. There's really no one in this system uh, blocking him at this point if he can take advantage of that. Uh, and yeah, Toby Welk, uh, I think, was kind of the darling other than Adley Rutschman. I don't think any other draft pick, 2019 draft pick, got as much hype as Toby Wilk, a D3 guy in the 21st round and uh, raked in uh, Aberdeen you know 164 WRC plus in 48 games with Aberdeen before getting moved up to Delmarva Uh, so an older guy but I mean all the reports uh, those that are smarter than me think yeah that's a potential third baseman there so we'll see how he does against more advanced pitching but if he's drinking this buoy kool-aid that they're taking down Sarasota (laughs) watch out
1: Yeah, I do feel like Hall has gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we didn't have a minor league season this year because if we had had one, Hall would have been at Frederick. uh, He turned 21 in May. If he had built off of what he'd done in Delmarva and turned in a solid year in the Carolina League at age 21, positioned himself either to be in Bowie at the end of this year or at the beginning of next year, I think he would be having conversations right now about Hall being— a guy that could creep into the top 10 uh, early next year because of other prospects graduating. But I think that, that you know the fact that no one got to see him this year, um, at least as far as fans and media go, might have had to do a little bit um, with Hall, not, uh, maybe Orioles fans not seeming as enamored with him as they had been before. And then you bring in Taron Vavra during the season who is going to be ahead of Hall on the depth chart. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. But I I still like Hall, and I think that if he can tap into that power a little bit, you have a starter at the major league level. Worst-case scenario, second baseman gives you a little bit of power and speed.
0: Yeah, and he can play second base. He can clearly play shortstop, at least good enough. Uh, It could be poor man's Trey Turner for us. Who knows?
2: Yeah, you you see a lot of also... um... You know, with Kobe Mayo, I think, again, that's the guy that I believe when we had Dr. Stephen Loftus on the show, he mentioned that when we look back a couple of years from now at the 2020 draft class, Kobe Mayo could be the guy that we say that was the steal of the draft, you know, the fourth round draft pick there, high school kid who was committed to Florida. And I think if a lot of what you read about him was that if he would have honored that commitment, went to Florida Got some SEC ball under his belt. He could have been a first-round draft pick in two, three years. Uh, so that's it's good to see these 2020 guys in, in this system. Um, Westberg is probably the one of the bigger names as well that I'm excited to to read the reports on him and see what we can get out of him. Because I I look at Westberg as a guy I know that's been McDonald's guy, SEC guy, but I think he's someone who could move up pretty quickly. Uh, and if guys like Adam Hall and, and Hernandez and Ortiz. Don't put it together. You got Jordan Westbrook right on their tails.
0: It's a good point. I'm curious if you guys think Andrew Dashback is like a organizational type player or has more potential. And how come Tyler Nevin's not on here? Need someone to play first base.
2: I think Tyler Nevin is uh, enjoying baseball. I think <laughs> yeah, at the World Series, <laughs> or
0: yeah, he's out there watching games.
2: Yeah, um, I, I don't know. Dashback is a he's a Stanford guy, so who, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I was a
1: little surprised to not see Nevin on here, too, because I thought, if nothing else, you know, he has time in the outfield in addition to the infield, so I thought maybe you could work him in almost as kind of a first-base left-field type. But the Orioles didn't go in that direction. He did get time to the site in Bowie, and I think he had been at the Rockies uh, alternate playing pool before the trade, so maybe the Orioles felt like he had got enough reps in uh, over the summer and could take the time off.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's probably what it was.
2: His dad's Phil Nevin. He, he can work out, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, he can yeah.
0: afford it.
1: <laughs> so, we have another uh, pretty interesting group here in the outfield. Um, Hudson Haskins, who the Orioles drafted this year, is going to the Fall Instructional League. As are two 2019 draft picks that I feel like we lost track of this year without the minor league season, that's Kyle Stowers and Zach Watson. Uh, Stowers actually in July ranked as our eighteenth prospect in the system. Hudson was not too far behind him at number twenty. In between them was Ryan McKenna at number nineteen. So that shows you that there's three outfielders there grouped pretty close together. McKenna is the one that we have the most data on, but Stowers, like I said, I feel like he got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Um, what's your guys' reaction to him being down in Sarasota, and what do you think we can see from him next year?
2: uh stowers is one of my favorite guys in, in this system and i think a name that a lot of orioles fans would have gravitated to this year if we would have had minor league baseball um he's he's a big power bat big arm bright fielder so again you've got using Diaz, you got heston Kerstad, you've got a lot of these guys in the system already but you can't have too many of them and stowers is one of them again another stanford guy i think elias took with three or four of the stanford guys in the 2019 <laughs> draft um I love the power. Uh, He didn't see too much action last year uh, after the draft. But again, he's someone that there's so much depth. You know, let's say hopefully Diaz does emerge next year. Kerstad seems like a a pretty safe bet. uh, A very, very high floor guy. So, if you've got Diaz Kerstad, you still have Mancini on the roster, a healthy Mancini in two, three years. Um, You've got Santander, hopefully, is still a a regular in this lineup. If you've got this glut Mm -hmm. of outfielders, you know, Stowers, I look at a guy like Stowers and you say, if you add him to the mix, you know, one of these guys is going to be traded for something really good. uh, And that's a good problem to have. In my opinion, and so I think Stowers missed out a lot this year by not having a full minor league season, but I'm glad to see him going down to Sarasota at least.
0: Yeah, to give any Orioles fans who are not huge into the minor leagues, he's probably a mix between Nate McClouth and uh, Kevin, what's uh, Burns, the guy that was a skateboarded to Camden Yards all the time. He looks more like uh, what is his first name?
1: you thinking of Eric Burns.
0: Yes, Eric Burns. He looks like Eric Burns, kind of plays more like Nate McLeod. <laughs> the guy I'm interested in here is Steven Acevedo. He was a guy that caught my eye uh, at the DSL level last season. Um, big kid, 16 years old, was six foot four, room to grow, and actually put up some decent numbers for his age at that level. So I'm very curious to see him up in the United States at such a young age. It was a late signing, I believe. Um, due to his birth date, um, uh, some little reason they were able to grab him late. And also Luis Gonzalez um, came out of retirement from the Diamondbacks. He's going to try to make a comeback at 50. No, it's another one of our big signings from the international free agent period. So, yeah, a lot of interesting names in the outfield. Johnny Reiser is another guy that we drafted last year. Don't forget about him. Uh, Yeah, none of these guys jump out as, like, superstar outfielders, which – That's fine for now, but there's definitely people that could claim a role down the line.
1: Yeah, I think that the Orioles right now, if you look at the top of their system, are pretty stacked with outfielders between AAA and the majors. Um, But this shows you that I think when you do get down the lower levels of the system, there's some pretty intriguing names here. I do want to go back to Watson for a minute because this is another guy, and and obviously you can say this about every prospect. They were hurt by not having a 2020 season. But this is someone who... uh, had their 2019 season cut short by a wrist injury. Now the wrist injury occurred in August, so he didn't miss that much time, but he still missed what could have been some valuable time over the final portion of the 2019 minor league season. Um, what do you think this time in Sarasota will do for him?
2: I think it's just a chance for him to get back into that routine. He was an LSU kid. So another polished sec bat. So, you know, not being able to play so much after getting drafted maybe didn't hurt him too too much uh, but he, he's back in the system now he's a guy that i think can hit for high average a speedy guy um, i look at watson i look at riser as you know, kind of profile as maybe you know fourth outfielder types at the major league level if everything goes right uh, but we've seen there's a place for that we saw the impact cedric mullins had this year at the major league level and if you can get more of these types of players coming up to the system i mean that's that's great to see but Watson, you we know Michael Elias loves his SEC bats and Watson is one of them, so you know we'll see what happens with him. You
0: know, give him a chance to uh, prove that his wrist is healthy, give him some confidence in that. And uh yeah, he's definitely got it, can play center field. He's quick. He's got even a little bit of pop. I saw him hit one out, lead off home run in Aberdeen last year. So he's definitely an intriguing guy. He had decent numbers at Del Marva before he got hurt, so that was unfortunate, but I think if he's as long as he's healthy, he should be either in, I again, Frederick, probably not there, but either Bowie or Haye to start next season and could move up pretty quick.
1: So that's, um, we gave a pretty comprehensive rundown there, but that's not the full 55-man uh, list that was released earlier this week. To see that, check out our Twitter, at BSL on the Verge. We have a tweet there that has the full uh, roster breakdown. I think we retweeted Joe Trezza from MLB. Uh, so we have that there. Uh, so follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. Check that out. Um, moving on though, we're going to focus on some of the players that the Orioles left off. Um, there were a couple of intriguing prospects, especially on the pitching side that are not going to Sarasota. One of them is a guy that I mentioned earlier, Cody Sedlock, uh, who the Orioles moved to the bullpen in 2019. He seemed like he was primed for a resurgence, but got left off the 40 man roster. Uh, was not chosen in the Rule 5 draft. Probably would have begun 2020 in AA or AAA had the season gotten started, but that obviously was not the case. Uh, The three of us have actually prepared players that we want to talk about a little bit, and Cody Sedlock was one of the ones that Bob wants to discuss, so I'm going to turn it over to him now.
0: Yeah, actually, both of the guys that I picked, I won't spoil the other one now, but we're kind of along the same lines where it's a guy who was we thought was in contention to get a 40-man roster spot and didn't even get a chance to get put on this roster and it kind of makes me wonder what does that mean for him is it like is he going to get caught in between um you know the guys that the current group that are right at the on the knocking on the door at triple a level just reached the majors and the guys behind him that are coming up fast so i just wonder if he's going to get lost in the mix and what his chances are to stake a claim but uh, for a major league job at some point next season, if they're not even giving him a look here, and it definitely feels like his 40-man roster chances have not not great now.
2: Yeah, I think I don't know about Sedlock specifically, but I think with a lot of minor leaguers, just in general, the way and we don't know any final answers yet, but I feel like the way that minor league baseball is going to look next year, you're going to see a lot of guys forced out of baseball. Um, before I think they they were ready to kind of leave the game. Unfortunately, guys who I think could still have a shot, uh, but they're not going to get that opportunity, and that's unfortunate. And but with Sedlock, um, you know maybe it's he was he's missed a lot of time coming up, a lot of injuries. Uh, Before last year, he had a big year last year uh, in Frederick and in Bowie. I think he worked his way back into the top 30 list at a lot of outlets after uh, a few places dropped him from the top 30 list. I had dropped him from my personal top 30 list. I thought he was pretty much done. Uh, But he had a great year last year, and maybe this is just about him staying healthy, um, working on some mechanical stuff on his own through the video calls that they do. Um, Clearly, another team, after not taking him in the Rule 5 draft last year, and he hasn't pitched since then, uh, clearly no one's going to take him this year. So maybe it's just about keeping him keeping him healthy, and maybe he can start 2021 in Norfolk's rotation.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, I was a little surprised last year when he got left off the 40-man, just because we had heard a lot about him buying into the more analytics-driven approach that the Orioles uh, implemented in 2019. And I thought that if that were really the case, they would put him on the 40-man, and position him to be in the Major League bullpen sometime in 2020. That obviously didn't happen. Um, As Nick said, I don't think that he's a guy that they're at risk of losing in the Rule 5 draft just because he's had an injury history. He looks like he was going to be a first-round bust up until last year, and then had that resurgence. Uh, This could be a factor with trying to keep him healthy. Um, As for his long-term future, and whether it's in doubt, I feel like, first-round picks generally are going to be given a little bit longer lease, and I think that Sedlock deserves that. I do question, though, he's not Mike Elias's first-round pick, and is that going to come into play here?
0: That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, and again, this is just a disclaimer. We don't know who might have suffered minor injuries, and that's why they're not here. Maybe they have something COVID-related, health-related. Um but yeah, that is a good point. Uh I do think he's going to stay in organization. I think he has a chance to be a decent bullpen piece. I'm not looking at him as so much as a rotation option, but I just think it's curious that he's not here given some of the guys that are like non-drafted free agents and such.
1: All right. So, I know Bob, you got another one for us to discuss and this is actually a pretty interesting name um among infield prospects.
0: Yeah, Mason McCoy. Again, another guy we thought was going to be 40-man eligible, potentially. Maybe a long shot, but um, the guys that are on there... I mean, there's a lot of infielders in the system now, so it is kind of interesting, but between all of the guys that got shots this season for the Orioles, Ramon Urias, all the one, you know, There was so much depth. Pat Vileka, and then all the guys that we've dra- drafted recently to go along with the Adam Halls of the world. I feel like this is almost like his one chance. His, like... 2021 to make a grab a role on the team if it's a bench player if it's trying to make a run for a starting position I feel like they would have liked to have seen what he could do but maybe they already feel like they know what he can do and they want to give other guys that they're a little more unsure of a chance but yeah I don't know what to think Mason McCoy I thought you know this is a defense first guy that could hit a little bit not sure why he's not here
2: yeah, I mean, he's been pretty non-existent this whole year. We haven't seen his name pop up. Um, I thought for sure he'd be in the player pool. But, you know, I think maybe with McCoy, and I love McCoy. I've loved him since the Orioles drafted him out of Iowa. Um, he's broken records at the Juco level at Iowa and college ball. He played in Northwoods League with the wooden bat. And he's broken records everywhere he's gone. But I understand his future value uh, with that bat and at the major league level. But the glove, I think a lot of people have agreed that that glove has been majorly graded for a long time. So maybe, you know, he has such a solid kind of routine singles hitter, doubles hitter. He can turn singles into doubles. He can turn singles into triples. Uh, the guy's got wheels out there on the bases, um, and the glove is so good. Maybe the Orioles just view him as a really safe player, and so they know what they have with him. And he can start next year in Triple A playing shortstop or second base pairing up with Richie Martin maybe uh, in the middle infield there in Norfolk, uh, and the Orioles know what they have with him. And so maybe, like you said, give these, some of these younger guys that, the bigger question marks sometime.
1: Yeah, I wrote about McCoy for my Rule 5 piece last week, and in, in trying to think about him, I had tried to think of him not just of how the Orioles might be evaluating him, but then potentially how other organizations uh, might view him to consider whether he'd be taking the Rule 5 draft. And what kept what I kept coming back to was is there going to be a team looking for a glove first middle infielder in the Rule 5 draft who they're willing to stick on the bench deal with the ups and downs with the bat and then stick him in AAA uh, in 2022 worst case scenario maybe but I think as Nick said he is a pretty safe player I think you kind of know what you have and that's maybe why the Orioles didn't put him in Bowie this summer why he's not going to Sarasota now They feel like they know what they have with him. And if he does not get taken in the Rule 5 draft, I think he's probably starting in the middle infield spot at Norfolk next year. The biggest question for me is what he did in 2019 at the plate between Frederick and Bowie. Now, I know most of that success came in Frederick. But he still put together a good year between the two levels. Did get a turn in the Arizona Fall League after that. Is he able to develop more at the plate? That's really the big question I have for him. Going into 2021, which is why I kind of wish he was in Sarasota. But at the same time, if the Orioles don't, if the Orioles feel like they know what they have and they want to give a look to the younger guys, especially with the infield depth they have, the lower levels of the system, I can kind of understand not bringing him down.
2: Yeah, I forgot he was in the Arizona Fall League. So, yeah, they, they've got more data on him as well. And so. We'll see. I, I, I love the guy. I love watching him play. I mean, he's, he's not, again, he's not going to hit 20 home runs a year, but he's got wheels. He gets on base and he makes a lot of fantastic defensive plays.
1: All right. So now we're going to turn to Nick's prospects. And I know that there's a pitcher and an outfielder on Nick's list. And I know that Nick is really, really excited to talk about the pitcher. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Always. I mean, of course. Uh, it's
2: Brendan Brandon Hannafee. Uh, of course. Um, I mean, one of the few top 30 prospects who wasn't in the player pool and now he's not going to Sarasota. Uh, so it's just, and he's rule five eligible. And so that's someone who pitched in Frederick last year. So, you know, it's, he's got a late start. He had a back injury. I know when the Orioles drafted him out of high school, so he hasn't had too much time on the minor leagues. Um, again, I, I, I'm just curious as to why he's not at least going down to Florida and getting some reps in. I know he's here in town. He's training with uh, pro guys, semi-pro guys, college guys. Uh, So he's getting his work in. I know he's working on those secondary pitches um, here on some fields. And so I was excited to see what those pitches look like. You know, you look at him statistically and the numbers don't really pop out last year in Frederick, uh, but you look at a guy like Alex Wells, who looked kind of bad in Frederick and really turned it up last year in Bowie. Um, You know, Hanafi is a guy who some still view him as a back of the rotation starter. Some view him with that massive sinker he has forces a lot of ground balls as a guy who could be a great relief option. Uh, I would love to see him in that role. Uh, but, you know, he's only 22, and he's about to make a big jump probably to double-A buoy next year. So I thought the Royals would at least
0: bring him down to Florida to to work with him a little more, but I guess not. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, he's got a great sinker, right? That's his calling card. So I feel like that's a weapon. I don't – yeah, it's, it's so weird to me why he's not there. He he can, he's a guy, again, that you could turn him loose in a bullpen or you could have him go out there every fifth day and he's going to at least keep you competitive. So, yeah, it's, it's very intriguing.
1: Yeah, I was a little surprised to see him left off too. Um, just because last year at Frederick, I think the thing was that what was unusual about his struggles last year was that he struggled with the walks more. And I thought that if they could kind of get his control back in order, he would be a real bounce-back candidate uh, in 2020, whether that had been returning to Frederick for a little while, and then going to Bowie, or if he looked good camp, send him right to Bowie and seeing what he can do. Uh, I still have to feel like he's a young guy. As Nick mentioned, he's got the good pitch with the sinker. I feel like you got to have a role for him next year uh, at high A, wherever that is, or in double A. Uh, just try to get his control back, but yeah, I'm surprised he's not in Sarasota.
2: Yeah, I think that could have been a lot, too, that he can live in pretty well in the minor leagues with that sinker pitch. But, you know, I think the Orioles really challenged him. I know his first year in the system or second year in the system, that last month, this was before Michaelias came, they told him, don't throw any more your secondary pitches, strictly fastballs. And then I think last year in Frederick, it was a lot of the opposite of that. Kind of what they did with Keegan Aiken, you challenge him in AAA, make him throw those off-speed pitches in uncomfortable counts. And it worked for Keegan Aiken. And so hopefully that's working for Brendan Hannafee. But yeah, just surprised. I'm curious to know how the organization views him. Um, but I think the other guy on the list was another Iowa guy, uh, another outfielder, uh, Robert Neustrom uh, I'm surprised he's not on just because he didn't play a whole lot last year. He had some injuries, I think. He hasn't really played a whole lot since the Orioles drafted him. But again, another big tall right fielder with a big arm uh he's got some power Uh, I think he played in Frederick a little bit last year I remember watching him kind of ripping balls uh, down the first baseline the few games that I watched him play I think that's someone else uh kind of a sleeper prospect that I think if he's fully healthy and was given a full minor league season another one of those names like Kyle Stowers who maybe a lot of more Orioles fans would have been talking about this year
0: yeah this was a great choice because he had kind of a lost year last year and uh yeah, I would put him right alongside there with the likes of the, you know, Zach Watsons and Kyle Stowers and Johnny Risers of the world. He's He's got a potential chance to be a major league player. He's got the power, like you said, big guy. Um, Yeah, especially he he should have been there for Dylan Harris, whoever that is. Guy I've never heard of, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure why he's not there.
1: Yeah, that was one that did surprise me a little bit, just because he did seem to fit the bill of a guy that you would want there. He only played, I just looked this up, he only played in 82 games in 2019. And actually on his career, he's at 143 games since being drafted in 2018. So that's not a lot of time in pro ball. I would have thought that you would have wanted to put him in Sarasota. I do think that his prospect profile, you're probably looking at a corner outfielder who's going to be a little bit limited if he doesn't tap into that power. But at the same time, I think you at least want to try to get him working towards that, uh, make up for lost time, and position him so that he could get time in A next year. Maybe the Orioles feel like they can do that. Um, I don't want to think they've ridden him off entirely just because he has not had a lot of time in pro ball. But maybe the Orioles feel like they can get him back on track without having him in Sarasota and decided to focus on guys that have come into the system more recently.
2: Yeah, you look at him again, a college guy, so yeah, you're probably not as worried about him missing too much time, but He's just another one of those guys on the list that I was really excited. You know, when we, when Chris, the leader over at BaltimoreSportsLife.com, <laughs> came to us and to bring this podcast back, you know, I was excited to be able to watch the minor league games and talk about guys like Neustrom and TJ Nickteen and Zach Jarrett, uh, those types of outfielders, guys that kind of, they've been putting together pretty solid seasons throughout their minor league careers, and now they're reaching kind of critical levels down the minor leagues. And can they get over that hump or not? And so Nushroom is definitely at the top of my list, though, just because, like you said, we haven't really seen him. But hopefully next year we get the opportunity.
1: Yeah, hopefully we do. So I'm going to focus on a couple of guys that stood out to me uh, who were not on the roster. Both of them are pitchers. Both of them are Rule 5 eligible this offseason, though one of them has already been through the Rule 5 process, and that's Gray Fenter. Uh, Fenter does have a history with injuries but last year at Del Marva put up pretty good numbers. And I know some people said, well, he was 23 in low A, but that was essentially his first full season. So I thought that Fenter, we would hear a little bit more about Fenter in general this year than we did. He was not at Bowie. He's not at Sarasota. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Are either one of you concerned about what that means for him going forward, or do you think it's the Orioles just trying to rest his arm a little bit because he's already had Tommy John surgery?
2: I think that could be it. You know, like you said, it's, he is older. So again, you know, and the Orioles saw a lot of him last year. So I, I think, you know, Finter was definitely one of the more, I, I don't know. I mean, I know why he had a fantastic season in Del Marva, but I remember last year's Rule 5 draft, people were outraged that Gray Finter was not protected. Um, but, you know, when he is 24 years old, I think he, looking at his page, he'll be 25 uh, next, when next season starts and he hasn't pitched above Del Marva so you know he's not going to get selected in this year's rule 5 draft either. Um I think he's a guy that a lot of people talked about as definitely someone you move into the bullpen and he could be in the major leagues in two years
0: uh, still. So, so
2: yeah, I don't think there's any there's really no reason to put a bunch more innings on his arm. I think if if the Orioles like what they see in him.
0: Yeah, definitely a surprise. I really liked Fenter last year, hard not to with the results that he got. Again, another guy who I think If you move him to the bullpen, he could move pretty quick up the ladder. But yeah, I heard on a podcast today actually talking about how there's some evidence that this shortened year or even some pitchers that are missing a year, like Marcus Stroman, this might actually, in the long run, help their longevity uh, in the sport, just giving their arm a chance to completely heal, which is not something pitchers get to do ever. And maybe that's the thinking with Fenter is just he's had some arm troubles in the past. He had a really good year last year. Let's give him a year to just make sure he's fully healthy, locked and loaded coming into next year.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that you do want to try to keep him as healthy as you can. And I wonder how quickly that move to the bullpen does happen if the Orioles decide to go that route. I feel like because he is going to be 25 next year, if if you feel like the bullpen is where his future is, I think you should look at moving him to the pen at the start of 2021. Even though the last season that he pits, he pits as a starter, he pits very well. Um, If you don't see a future for him in the rotation at the higher levels of the minor leagues or in the major leagues, I think that now would be a good time to start that move to the bullpen. Yeah, I think he
2: could possibly even be someone that you see if we have a normal spring training which you know we can say is many months away but we said you know football season was many months away and everything would be normal <laughs> and now the you know the Tennessee Titans I think are about to be uh, extinguished from the NFL um, but so I'm not counting on a regular spring training but I think Fenter could definitely be a guy that you see a lot in spring training camp
1: if there is a camp
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly
1: so I mentioned that I wanted to discuss another pitcher who is Rule 5 eligible. This is one for the first time, a guy that's consensus top 30 coming into the year. But after the coronavirus shut down spring training, someone we heard very little about, and that's Alex Wells. Uh, not the alternate site in Bowie. He's not in Sarasota, although apparently he I think he did pitch in Australia a little bit or is going to pitch in Australia a little bit. Um my more specific question for Wells, just because he is Rule 5 eligible, but the Orioles also have a lot of talent that they're going to need to protect this year, do you think that the Orioles ultimately protect him, or do you think they leave him off? And is your decision based on what the fact that he's not in Sarasota?
0: I think they're going to protect him, and I honestly do. I just think he might not be a guy that you could count on being even a mid-rotation starter, but he's had success at the higher levels and he's got a nice mix of pitches. I'm wondering if the only really reason that he really hasn't come over is because of like an import reason out of Australia. Maybe he can't get over here. I'm not sure, but I think his pedigree is enough that they'll protect him. I don't see any reason why he couldn't give this team the production that out of the bullpen next year, or as a fifth starter that, another guy who i'm trying like a uh, Wade LeBlanc like a guy like that wells is going to give you a little more potential in a uh, left-handed arm
2: yeah i was curious i was trying to look up and see maybe if he had already signed or if he's going to pitch in the Australian baseball league i know that starts january december january i think they start in early december um i could see him pitching there if he's back home yeah, like you mentioned I, we don't know if it could be a travel issue but you know, he really struggled in Frederick, like I mentioned earlier. But had a great year in Bowie, um, I which I definitely definitely helped his case a lot. But I wouldn't be shocked if they leave him unprotected, and maybe take a gamble. But when I look at that, I instantly think of like team. Like I don't know why, but thinking about Alex Wells uh, over the last couple of days, you know, preparing for the show, I always think about like the Seattle Mariners come to my mind that they. They've already said they want to add, you know, two, three, four bullpen arms and kind of go for it next year or within the next two years for sure. Um, and they've got a guy like Nick uh, Margavich. They grabbed from San Diego a soft tossing lefty who had a big year, uh, not a big year, but a really decent year, much better than expected year for Seattle this year. Uh, so I, I'd be curious if, you know, a team like Seattle or, or San Francisco is also another team that said, hey, we want a bunch of relievers for next year and kind of go for it. Is Alex Wells a super cheap option that they maybe target in the Rule 5 draft? Because they know if he doesn't work out, then they just ship him back to Baltimore and nothing. So I don't know.
1: Yeah, when I was putting together my Rule 5 piece last week, I ended up putting Wells at the top of the class of players that I see as on the bubble because I had a hard time when I was doing it, putting him ahead of Isaac Matson and Zach Popp. I feel like both of them are... Better, probably safer options to get 40-man spots just because Pop has that velocity. He's someone that I think would have already been in the major leagues, if not for the fact that he hurt his elbow early in the 2019 season. Matson had the time at the alternate site in Bowie this summer. And again, if the Orioles' bullpen depth had not been what it was during the regular season, I think Matson would have been up there by the end of the year and already be on the 40-man roster. And then not to mention, you're going to add Zach Lothar to the 40 man i think that's a foregone conclusion bruce zimmerman is already on there so do the orioles have enough of these soft tossing lefty types uh they're already on the 40 man they can roll the dice uh on wells not getting drafted in the rule five draft to make room for a zach pop um do i think they should protect him probably just because as nick said there are some teams that could be in the hunt for bullpen arms and wells if nothing else you know he can throw strikes So that can make him an option. The only two things I wonder are he doesn't throw hard, and there has been a knock on him for giving up too many fly balls, although I think that improved a little bit of Bowie. So he's an interesting case for me. I mean, the reason he's not in Sarasota could be Visa-related. We don't know. But I'm curious to see how things shake out with him over the coming weeks about whether or not he goes on the 40-man.
0: I wonder if you can sneak Zach Pop through the offseason, not getting taken into Roll Five because of coming off that injury. Pe- teams aren't going to want to touch that, but yeah, it might not be a risk worth taking with his potential.
1: Yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, any team taking Zach Pop is taking a risk, but then the Orioles are also taking a risk, not protecting him. And Pop is that high risk, high reward guy that someone might try to strike in the Rule 5 draft. You don't know.
0: His arm's either going to pop or his fastball's going to pop. <laughs> Something's popping.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so we did mention at the beginning of the show that we were going to talk about Heston Kurstad, who is not on the uh, instructional league roster for Sarasota. Uh, multiple rec- reports uh, suggested that Kurstad is out for a non-sports medical reason. Uh, we're not going to speculate about what could be going on with Kurstad. We hope that he's you know, able to recover soon and get back out on the field by next spring. But I did want to dissect this quote from Mike Elias that's making the rounds. And I pulled this from a uh, John Mioli piece of the Baltimore Sun. And this is what uh, Elias had to say about Kurstad not making uh, the instructional league roster. Quote, it's not great, but I think the fact that he's an advanced, high level college hitter makes it a little less concerning that he ended up not getting much organized activity this year. It looks like that will be the case. That makes it, I think, a little bit more tolerable because a little more tolerable because he's a pretty polished hitter. He'll be able to pick up next spring where he left off, but for all these guys, this has been a concerning year and certainly would not have been our plan, but this has been a hard year to predict the future. Uh, the end quote there so. Elias, I think, pretty accurately describing the 2020 season in a nutshell. But are either one of you concerned about Kerstad missing so much time because the 2020 college baseball season was shut down early and then he didn't go to Bowie after signing and now is not going to Sarasota?
0: Of course, uh, it is concerning a little bit. but And Elias, of course, even if he was concerned, he wouldn't say he was concerned. But I do kind of go along with what he's saying it's not great but he is a refined bat he you know he was one of the top college hitters in the class and I'm sure he's working out on his own and how many at-bats is he going to get in four weeks in Sarasota anyway I don't think it's the end of the world clearly it's not what you want but the guy was our first draft pick for a reason I think as long as he is able to work out on his own heading into spring training next year it should be fine and even if he's a little bit behind. I think he'll be able to catch up. Maybe delays his debut in the major leagues by a few months, but that's not the end of the world.
2: Yeah. I'm more actually just more anxious about like Orioles fans responses to this, who a lot of them already didn't like the pick when it was made with so many other guys, you know, like Austin Martin and other available. Um, But, you know, actually with that quote, um, I I didn't read it until you posted it in our our rundown sheet. But I was actually thinking when I first saw that, that one of my first thoughts was, you know, yeah, that's not great. But he played for Team USA and got a lot of experience there. He's played at Arkansas. He's another SEC guy. So he's an advanced college bet that I'm not too, too worried about him missing. I know it's be about a year, a calendar year between games, but... I'm not too, too worried. It seems like by all accounts, he is a very, very high floor player. Um, so, you know, all we can do is wish him the best. Hope it's nothing serious and hope he can come out there in, in February or March whenever minor leaguers are able to come back and he can get back into the swing of things. And if it takes him another six months to get to the big leagues, I, I, that's that's fine. It's not a big deal.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. It's going to be a while before we know if there are any long-term uh, implications because of this and if he goes somewhere next year and gets off to a slow start I'm sure you're gonna have a lot of people saying well it's because he missed so much time but then if he heats up that's all gonna quiet down and we're not gonna think about it anymore so I don't know that we're ever really gonna know what effect this has on him um, I would suspect and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this as we've mentioned a couple of times on this show uh, we don't know entirely what the structure of the minor minor leagues is going to be next year. But I feel like under the structure we've had up until this year, Kersad would have been a guy that you would have put at high A in his first full season, figuring that he was ready for the Carolina League, with an eye on promoting him to Bowie later in the year. Do you think that that's still a possibility, or that he's at least at the equivalent of whatever high A is in 2021?
2: Could be. Uh, I think this may be this. We, we've seen Michael Elias is pretty cautious with prospects, and maybe this puts him back a little bit to so where maybe he gets at least a few weeks in low A just to get his rhythm back and, and get his legs back underneath him. But yeah, I think for sure by the end of next year, as long as we have a minor league season, I mean, this is a guy who is definitely going to be knocking on the doors of double A, I think. You know, based on all the reports, he definitely seems like somebody who really does have one, uh, one of the more advanced bats in the entire college draft. And so I don't think he's going to spend a whole lot of time altogether in the minor leagues.
0: Yeah. Elias is pretty conservative. So I think he will start a little bit lower than maybe Orioles fans expect. But I think with his, uh, where he is, he'll, he'll move pretty quickly as long as the results are there. So I don't, I'm not too concerned about that.
1: Yeah. And wherever he does end up, I look forward to watching him, uh, in professional baseball, finally seeing if some of the improvements we saw out of him his last year at Arkansas sustain. I just want to watch him hit home runs. I just want to see this power in game action. So he's someone I'm definitely excited about seeing next year.
2: It would be fun to see him at Frederick. We may never see any more Orioles guys at Frederick, but I could see him sending a lot of balls in that parking
1: lot over there. Yeah, get one all, get park one on uh, I-70. <laughs> he can do it. Hit it, hit it a long way. So um, as we mentioned in our last show, and I will say it again, um, over the offseason, we're not planning to record weekly. It's going to kind of be shows like this where we respond to a development that happens that's prospect-related or really a big-picture story that is Orioles-related. We'll hop on the air. At a minimum, though, expect one new show from us a month between now and when spring training begins. Uh, You can always check in with our stories and more content on the Orioles Ravens and College Sports at baltimoresportsandlife.com. Hop on the message board there to join the discussion about Baltimore Sports and Life articles and other things that are posted in the message board. And you can follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. If you go there right now, there's a random Benny Agbayani video, which I was strangely happy to see, Nick.
2: Oh, Benny Agbayani is the man. I grew up 10 minutes away from Harbor Park, and I have to tell you, Benny Agbayani that man got married at home plate at Harbor Park. He loved the Norfolk Tides so much. That was a New York Mets affiliate at the time, but he's hes still, the Tides are, are Orioles now, so long live Benny Agbayani, Jorge Toka, and Butch
0: Husky.
1: So before we sign off from this show, uh, Nick, Bob, any final thoughts
0: yeah, my Braves-Rays World Series prediction is still still available. Braves are dominating. Rays are about to knock out the uh, Rays are about to knock out the Yankees. So that's what I'm rooting for. I really enjoy the playoffs uh, this year, even as weird and crazy as it is. I I really like not having the off days. I kind of wish they would keep that, but I don't see how they can with the travel days. But I'm enjoying it.
2: Yeah, it's awesome to see Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, flipping Bats. Uh, it's always great to see that energy. Um, I would love the Rays to get through because I do not want to watch like Astros-Dodgers in the World Series, even though that's probably what it's going to be. Uh, but yeah, I think and if we don't come back in the next few weeks, hopefully we will. But if we don't, in the meantime, uh, just vote. Everybody, go vote.
1: Yep. And... Um... I also have my Dodgers-Rays World Series still in line here, uh, thanks in no small part to Cody Bellinger's catch on Wednesday. So I did predict the Dodgers to win it all, so maybe that's a sign of things to come for them. Uh, so for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this has been Zach Spedden. Thank you for listening on to On the Verge, and we'll check back in soon.